0: Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. It's Bain Hametzarim, times of tragedy for Kval Yisrael. So it's appropriate at this time to talk about a halachic topic that very few are aware of. And what is that? The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. The Aktion, the liquidation, the murder of all the Jews of Warsaw and of the Warsaw Ghetto began on Tisha B'av. The Germans knew when to begin this. During this period... Rabbi Nachem Zemba, who was one of the Gedolim trapped in the Warsaw Ghetto, as well as the Ish Drashiv of Leblin, the Kozhek as many others, David of David Kana Shapira, the one they say he was a mother, a thousand, a good one, not a single one, single one, came back, he was the only one who survived the Warsaw Ghetto. He passed Rabbi Nacham Zemba ostensibly that they should fight, even though the odds were absurd with the might of the German military, the Nazi military, against a few Jews who had some primitive weapons and was hotly disputed. Reb Simcha Elberg in HaPardis wrote a number of articles that got a great, tremendous reaction. He said it can't be that Rebbe Nachum Zemba said something like this. And Rav Henkin wrote a scathing letter against the uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto. Interestingly, in secular Israeli society, it's considered one of the few moments of pride of the entire Holocaust. This uprising, which created by the fruma backlash, what about all those who died al kiddush Hashem? So there's a hashkafa as well as a halachic issue here. So we brought some very interesting people on to discuss it. Rabbi Yehuda Gebera from Beit Shemesh. He's a historian, a writer. He gives tours of Poland. He's going to tell us what happened in the Warsaw Ghetto. Here's Rabbi Yehuda.
1: It's around for um, a bunch of years. The first couple of years, they're just suffering within, trying to live their normal lives. Thousands die of malnutrition, disease that spreads in the crowded conditions, non-hygienic conditions, starvation. And then in the summer of 1942, the Nazis begin uh, deportations um, from the ghetto to Treblinka, to the gas chambers. And that's a slow liquidation of the ghetto first in the summer. And then they continue again in the winter. And then in the spring, in the final liquidation, there's the up and then there's, you know, they burn down the whole ghetto. So that's generally what we're looking at is from 1940 to mid-1943, uh, from a half a million Jews to basically zero.
0: For the halachic part, we have Rebruveen Brand, a Reish kol in Chicago. He's written about it, discussed it halachically, this Machleikis. Is it suicide? Isn't it suicide? Well, he have Rebruveen Brand on. Here's Rebruveen.
2: Rabbi Nacham Zemba said over a vart. That relates to the parsha that says, Inyana of Nikom Nikmas B'nai Yisrael Me'ez HaMidyanim. He says, I want to understand what's going on here with this whole parsha of Midyanim? On the one hand, we have a pasuk that tells us, On the other hand, we're told, Nikmas Hashem. We should go out there and fight. He says, The difference is says that in one case, the Nikoma of a person is a personal matter. That's a person taking out their own negias on somebody else. As opposed to the nikmas Hashem, that's for laman baruchu, laman kalal And that's a mitzvah kilchasa when it's not miskavnim l'atzmenu. It's not for ourselves. So he says that's what is called upon at this at this time when he says that everybody knows he says he thinks that according to the halacha just gathering whatever arms we have that even though we might be killed this is a of melchemes mitzvah of kiddush hashem and that kiddush hashem exists in this context
3: and here's something fascinating we
0: have the lookout for a menachem zemba in the warsaw ghetto Right, Rabbi Rabbi this was the person who ran in front of him. His grandson is a Rav here in America, Reb Daniel Gladstein. And he's going to tell us what he heard from his grandfather about what Reb Nacham Zemba said. Here's what he said Rabbi Nacham Zemba's words were.
4: That they, they were not permitted to go like sheep to slaughter. That that was disparaging to the dignity of the Jew. And in order to preserve Kavod Yisrael, they had to wage Mohammed Mitzvah. That's what my grandfather told
0: me. So this is really a fascinating halachic debate as well as hashkafic debate. And we have to salna ki When we deal with such sensitive and such tragic issues, salna lecha, mial we have to take our shoes off, tread very carefully. When Amos are covered with the greatest respect, I hope we treat all the all the kiddashim and all the opinions here with, with the respect that they deserve. Before we go to our program, I want to say something on the Parsha. This is the Parsha of Nedarim. Ishki Dar Neder, is, you have homoshtis about Nedarim, right? We have Nedarim, we have Naziris, Nashtis Nazir, we have Shvuis is, what is it doing here? in Sefer Bamidbar, the Ramban famously writes, he says, all of Sefer Bamidbar are the travels of Klal Yisrael. In the Midbar, there's no halachas here. Anytime there is a halacha, it needs a reason. For example, we have the Karbanis in last week's parsha. Rashi explains it. He said, after Tzlafchad, Moshe asked Rabbanu Shalom, he said, please look at, I'm looking out for my children. Rabbanu Shalom said, while you're asking your Tzrahim, what about mine? And he, that's the Parsha of karbonist Rabbi Shol Mishrachem. What is the Parsha of Nit Duram doing in Bamidbar? I want to suggest an answer. Right before this, we have the story of Baal Poyer. Baal Poyer is a fascinating avoy How was a Poyer served? You defecated in front of it. What did I mean? Literally, it was a big Beis say People would defecate. This was the service of Poyer. What type of crazy service is that? And the Gemara says, the more you could embarrass it, the more you could, somebody who's mekaneach, the more debasing it was, the greater the service was. Let me suggest an answer. There's a there's, a, there's, a, there's something called nihilism. It's a philosophy, Nietzsche. As the, the founder of nihilism, some say. What is nihilism? The rejection of all religious and moral principles. This Wikipedia, the belief that life is meaningless, marriage is meaningless, society is meaningless, loyalties are meaningless, all of the cosmos, all existentialism is meaningless. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there is no truth. Rationality is ridden with biases errors, and delusions. We see that, by the way, much of that in universities today. Where moral values, religion, etc. So live and enjoy life because there's nothing, there is no meaning to it. What does Maisha stand for? By the way, he's buried mole Balpire. Maisha's is the one who brought meaning, morals, to the world. The Decalogue, the Sarasar Debris, and they were in almost every courtroom until recently, you know, separation of church and state. But that is the foundation of all three world-leading religions. As hadibris is their foundation. Moshe brings meaning. He's buried mole What is the concept of a neder? All of life is meaningless. Jokal Yisrael believes this Tariyag mitzvah. Everything, every action can have meaning. What is a neder? Wait, wait, wait. Much more than the tariag mitzvahs, I can make that every single action that I do it becomes a mitzvah and isser. Kol I create a mitzvah embracing every single action in my life. So it's the it's the enshrinement. It's the possibility to sanctify, to be makadish every pula. This is mobile player. Everything is meaningless. No, no, no. Everything you do, everything we do to the last iota can be meaningful. That is what Yiddishkeit is about, more ballpark. So here's something interesting. Many Jews, Orthodox Jews, or non-Orthodox Jews, were born into the religion, and the meaning was sort of thrust upon us. So do we really live meaningful lives? It says in the parasha, And then after it turns it around, it says, So they had to leave to go on a journey. Are you running because you're going someplace? Or are you running to get away from where you are? Two people are running. Somebody's running two, 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 two. He has a goal. The other person just says, I'm running. I'm just out of here. So are you living a life? Are you thrust into this life of meaning? Or are you running towards it? Are you embracing it? Here's a vart I heard over from Machachem. It's Rabbi Lau said it, the chief rabbi of Israel. He heard it from Rath Herzog. Who heard it from Rav Kook. Saying, so three chief rabbis of Israel are in this vert. What does it say? Mi elek ka'av Pasuk in It's talking about the ultimate gula when Kal Yisrael comes back to Eretz Yisrael. Who is that Of tu fena soaring like a cloud? el And like a dove flying to its dovecat. So Rav Cook said like this. He said when a cloud flies, it soars. It's not doing it through its own volition. It's being pushed by the wind. A cloud has no means of mobility. The wind is thrusting it. But at the Yaina returning to its Dovka, because Chazal say, the Yaina only has one mate. It's the most loyal, most loyal bird. It's r- rushing towards its Aruba out of loyalty, out of love. So what is the Navi saying, Ishai saying? Are you here because the wind drove you here? Or are you here because there was nothing more important in your life than being here? So here's the question that we have to ask. Is life happening to you? Or are we making are you making it happen? Are we making it happen? Parashiv Nadarim says we have the ability to give every action meaning. Every part of our life, Avram Zuckin, Baba every minute of our day, a meaningless existence is a very sad existence. An existence without purpose. It's an existence of depression, of anxiety. The existence of the person who says every part of my life has a meaning is an existence of simcha, of value, of never losing one second of our life. Every moment is enshrined, is planted for another world. To the Yid, from our first nascent moments of awakening, when there's the halacha, what are your first words? How do you get out of bed? How do you get dressed? How do you put your shoes on? And from there... Until the very last moment of the day, from the Hamapil, there's Balpoyer, and then there's the Parsha of Nadarim. We can vote. Are we Ka'ov to Ufenah? Are we here because we were pushed by the wind? Or Kayoina Lurbaiseim? There's nothing more precious to us in our life. That's the message of the Parsha of Nadarim. Let's go to our riddle of the week. Last week we asked the riddle. We had a lot of answers. M- many of them were mechavim to the chsam saifa. We're going to put at the end somebody who really he said the chsam saifa, and a very original, a second original answer. So we're going to play that answer at the end of the program. But here are this week's riddles. Here's the first one. The din of Now we have to be tevil kalim. So here's a question from the son-in-law of Rabbi Vega. By Martin Tyra, why didn't Kalal Yisrael have to betoivel all its kalim, which we were Guli Nachrim, they came, they were, they, they, they were in Kaddish before, and uh, th- we don't see. Now you, you became Jews, there was Gairus, be betoivel all your kalim. Now the truth is you could ask also, why didn't they have to kasha them? And the answer to that would be, is because since it was a slaced, it's Kabbalah Sartanah was on Shabbos, so that's already Midrabanan. There's no nice in time if it's a maize lace, but feel us, Kalem, that you need. That's our first riddle. Our second shilas is that the, uh, the Mishnah says in Bays that a that if somebody kills somebody and he has to go to a Beshagging and he goes to an Ari he doesn't leave. But that's the Mishnah. Even if all of Kal Yisrael needs him. Really? What about the dinner Pikuach Nefesh? All of Klael Yisrael needs you. You should not be yaitza. You're not allowed to be yaitza. What about Bikrach Esther, she had to give herself over because all of Klael Yisrael needed her. You see, she was mechayev to be machnir herself into Sakana, Yisrael. Why? Why would somebody? So there's a chiddush from Dar sameh He says, "You see, from here, you don't have to put yourself in sakana." But uh, but the pashtus says it's not true. Okay, that's our second riddle. And as usual, the, we will pick one person to give a prize to, at the, or maybe a few people if it's if they happen to both. So uh, we look forward to your answers. So before we go to our guests, I just want to shtelavek the halachic issues so that when we talk about them with Rabbi Brand, you have like a little bit of Hagdama. The Beis Yosef in Yeridea in Semin Kufnun Zion discusses if there's an isser of suicide, a bishasa shmad, like during the crusade, etc. And he brings a raya from Shul, that what? That Shul was afraid that they would do, give him, this the washing of the Tur. She'im yarei shema yasula yisurim Kashim. He says, "Yochel limseratz mei lemisah." Why? Because he says, "Ach esdim chem lanaf sheysechem." By design misses where you learn suicide. So, "Ach" is a mitzvah. So he says the, the the Medrash Darshans, "Ach lamayit shol." That what that he was allowed to do it because to avoid Yisurim Kashim, or alternatively, if he was afraid he was Shmad Zachap, he was allowed to do it. But then he brings, there was a Maisa Barav Echad that killed many children during the crusades. Rahman Otsvan. Why? Because of this, he was afraid that they would be given over for Shmad or for Yisurim Kashim. And uh, the Torah says that he had a Misa Mishunah. So the Torah says he was not allowed to do what he, what he, what he did. So these are sort of two opinions of the Tur. Are you allowed to, even though they're somewhat differing, one is for himself and one is to others. So he says, Shool, what he did, was it B'rtsoyin Chachamim or Shaloi B'rtsoyin Chachamim? A debate in the Tur. The Shulchan Aruch says that if somebody commits suicide, like Shul did, he does not have a din and the same simon, notice simon, this is in Shin, Shin Mem hey. The luck is, he does not have a din of, uh, of uh, somebody who committed suicide. And the Gain on the spot, brings a few Makairis for this. And by the way, where would this be relevant? Let's say Masada, they killed themselves, because they were afraid of uh, the Shmad. Yosef says over there, he says, the Romans, when they caught you, they did the worst things. They they tortured the men, they de- decapitated children, they raped the women. So he says, that's why in Masada, they, they killed themselves. So there's a few sources. So one is in the Yalkut Shmuel, in Ramaz Kufmam Aleph. He says that Shmuel told sho he says that if you fall b'cherev, your misa will be kapara lecha. And it finishes off that after Shol sort of had himself killed, he had his assistant, his, assist, his uh, the Nahar have a Maliki kill him, he said, he ended up a mechitsosai Shol Shmuel. So it seems clearly from the Yalka that what Shmuel did was correct, not like the second Lashen of the Tur, that says, Shmuel Asa sh- sheloi hachamim. That's the first Makayar. M- 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 the second is a Medrash Rabba in Parashish Noach, Perak Lamedalad, that says, "Va'aches dimchem la'navshei se'chem." Yochel kishol. Talmud loymer ach. Right, so you see that it is a mitzvah, a special mitzvah that Shaul did the right thing. And the third mukayr is, is the Gemara in Yevamah. The Gemara says that the vayhi rov made David shalishanim vayevakeh uh, David. So, what does the Gemara say? Al Shmuel shaloi nispad khalacha. Shmuel, now the halakha, it, Shmuel didn't get a hespid kalacha. So here's the amazing thing. It has to be that he didn't have a din of a ma'abed atz because the Shulchan Arachan in day Shin Memhe says that somebody who's ma'abed atz meladas, you're not allowed to be Maspid. So here are three chazals that seem to say clearly that somebody who killed himself, like Shul, and what does it say by Shul? Oilulubi. He's allowed to do it. And the Ramban, by the way, and this is the lashon of the Mechaba, takes the lashon from the Ramban. Just like Shoah Melech, just like Shoah Melech, so, Lechayri, you see that a ma'abed atzmil adas in such a situation is allowed to. And in fact, Shoal was bimachitasa. He did a, like he said, it was sort of like a Kiddush Hashem. So this Lechayru would be, you know, when Ramanachem Zemba said that they were allowed to, that they were to go out to war. L'chayru, he was being saimach on this, and he's saying they didn't have a din of a ma'abadat smiladas. Like the Shulchan Aruch says, by shul. He also says it was a kiddush Hashem. It's hard to say exact mechayru, chazal that says it's a kiddush Hashem, but that's what he said. We'll hear the, we'll hear about this from both Yehuda Geber and Rabbi Brand. So here are the words. Hill Zeidman, I got his diary. It was not easy to get my hands on. I it came by Amazon. It's it was a couple of hundred dollars, and it took them two weeks to send. But he brings, when the Nidin was in front of Reb Menachem Zemba, whether they should fight or not, he wrote, Reb Zemba speak, spoke with great deliberation. There are different ways to kiddush Hashem. Today, the only way to sanctify his name is with armed resistance. Everybody listened to the famous Goins' words with great respect. This is what he writes. A heavy silence surrounds the gathering. The arguing is over. The die has been cast. I wondered what mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem is this to fight. I was thinking, you know, what do you say in the um, in the Kinnus? Sochi umoi hesimuni beedrei chaveri. I was considered like disgusting beedrei chaveri. They looked down on me. In other words, there's a concept in Yecheskel v'yadu hagoyim ki ani Hashem mekadosh es Yisrael v'heimo there's a Kiddush Hashem among the Umay Sailam when Kalal Yisrael's Nisraimim, or acts in a, in a way, in a knife in Kaimimiyas. And there's a Khil Hashem Lahepach, sort of like, Lama Yoyimru Hagayim Aino Elahayim? Or by Tfilas Maishev, Amru Hagayim hasheh hasheh Hashem Shemach Aleimar, Mi Hashem Lahavi or the Gamaran Brah Slamid Baze, Ama Myshe L of Nea Kadish Barhu, Yaimu Umais Ilam Toshash Kaichaik in a So when Kwali Srolls and Sraim, they act in a way that's pride bearing, it creates a kidish ashem and Lahapachashalam is a khilashem. That's the only Makir I could think of for what Ribinachem Zemba said. If somebody else, one of our listeners, could think of another Makir, please let me know. Now, Rabbi Henkin brought out another point. Rabbi Henkin, the, the great Goyen and Paisic, Ramosha held he was his equal, uh, held that he was, uh, he caused the Germans, the Nazis, Yimach Shumam, to kill many others. What was the heter of Ramanachem of Zemba? So this is not, I, I couldn't find any Paisik who writes about this, but it, my guess would be is that you see Lamar there's a halacha of Mohammed Mishra Mohammed Mitzvah even Bizman Azeh, Shulchan Aruch and Shin Chavtes talks about a city that the Gaim come and they surround and they said everybody has to go out to war it doesn't say make a calculation you know if you go out to war maybe you're going to antagonize the enemy and they're going to go kill a few more villages there's when you have to go out to war you have to go out to war and you can't make calculations could somebody else die because I'm being Mekayim that's what I would guess so, you know, I can go on this, this for a while, but th- to me, this is just a, a, a brief Hagdama, because we can go into this Barichas, with Rabbi Brin, and this way, everybody has at least some Hagdama to the topic. Now, here's something fascinating. I said they started excavating, and they found the last bunker, the only bunker, and I was, like, I was able to get a few bricks from this excavation of the bunker of Mila 18. There was a book written about it. I remember reading it as a child. I, I couldn't sleep for a week afterwards. Warsaw Uprising. So who was one of the Yiddin in the Warsaw U- Uprising? It was Hill Seidman. He was a Warsaw resident. He was a younger man. He was also a writer. He wrote this in Yiddish, and this is translated. He writes like this, I remember one famous Hasidic Shireb who said, why was the base Hamigdash built on and not on Har Sinai? Because a place where a Yid has been is more important than the place where there was Matan where else have so many Jews fallen Al Kiddush Hashem than the roads of the Warsaw Ghetto? Every street is Haramaria, Every stone is an akeda. Listen to these words he wrote. If by some miracle I survived this madness, I would bring a stone from Nalif Gigas to Eretz Yisrael and place it by the Kaisel Hamaravi, so that when didn't come to the holy site, they would cry over the stone for the loss of their loved ones, for the destruction of a large Helic of Klal Yisrael. They will wail and cry over the extinction of a central powerhouse of Yiddishkeit, Polish Jewry, as they mourn the Khurban of the Holy Bess HaMikdash. So here's what we want to do. You know, we built the Baal Shem We have it at the walls of 22 Kehillahs HaKadoshes on Tishabav between Mincha and Meirev on Tisha we're going to take these stones from the Warsaw Ghetto and we're going to replant them, we're going to be bezeray them, in the walls of our shul. We're going to have a few Holocaust survivors with a trowel and cement take these stones that were buried for the last 85 years and plant them in a living shul. And why is this particularly touching what Rabbi Seidman said, because everybody knows, you remember the Marshan Brachas, the Gemara says, what did Rabbi Yochanan, they told Rabbi Yochanan, who lived in Eretz Yisrael, ikos sabi bebovel, He said, how could that be? It says, l'manyir bu yameichem al hadzama, and they're in Chutzlar, and not al hadzama. So the Gemara answers no. Kivan da amri mikadmi mechashvila ve'i they go to Shul, this is Hainu hanilei. So the Marsha says it's not a schus like a schula, the Makadami Machashkila But he said, You said Allah hadama. Alright, you ta'am miti ha'am zoni What does the Mishnah say? "Kivan she'asidim batiknisis u'bat midrash she'ba bavel, she'yikfu ba'israel, all the batiknisis are going to travel back to Israel. Ha'vi ki'ilu hem kfar achshav eretz yisrael. <speaking in Hebrew> Every shul is now a little piece of eretz yisrael. when you stand in the shul, he says it's like you're standing in eretz yisrael, and therefore it's leman nirbu yimechem me'benechem al hadama." That's what the Marsha says. So I say to the Nishama of this Rav Seidman, I say, we took a stone and we planted it in the shul, which is like it's in Eretz Yisrael. And it's, kfarachshav, the Marsha says, why? I would be myself, because it's going one day, it's already there now. So if you're in Mansi on Tisha B'av, between Mincha and Meir, of seven, seven thirty on Tishah come and watch us plant the stones of the Warsaw Ghetto, the only place in the world, into our shul, and bring them back to to Israel. If you want to weave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America our number is seven three two eight zero six eighty seven hundred. In England it's four four like that's the country code three three zero one one seven zero two five zero, In eretz Yisrael, it's uh. Zero two three seven two zero three oh four. So let's go to our wonderful guests.
3: Joining us is Rabbi Yehuda Geber. He lives in Beit Shemesh. He writes for the Mishpacha magazine, their history column, Jewish history column. He's a Jewish history tour guide, and he also has the Jewish history soundbite podcast. Welcome, Rabbi Yehuda.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
3: Could you give us a general overview of history of the ghetto?
1: Yeah, sure. The Warsaw Ghetto was the largest and most famous of all the Nazi ghettos. The Nazis established ghettos in every Jewish area in Eastern Europe. There's about a thousand ghettos that they have, but the Warsaw Ghetto is unique in its sheer size. Uh, At its peak, it had nearly a half a million Jews from Warsaw, which was the largest Jewish city in Europe, and from surrounding areas. It was a jam-packed ghetto. Um, It's established, uh, sealed off in November of 1940, which is a year after the Nazis entered Poland. So, for the first year, there was no ghetto. It's around for um, a bunch of years. The first couple of years, they're just suffering within, trying to live their normal lives. Thousands die of malnutrition, disease that spreads in the crowded conditions, non-hygienic conditions, starvation. And then in the summer of 1942, the Nazis begin uh, deportations um, from the ghetto to Treblinka, to the gas chambers, and that's a slow liquidation of the ghetto first in the summer, and then they continue again in winter, and then in the spring, and in the final liquidation there's the uprising and then there's you know they burn down the whole ghetto so that's generally what we're looking at is from 1940 to mid-1943 from a half a million Jews to basically zero.
3: Talk to us about the uprising.
1: The uprising breaks out from the last Jews, the last surviving Jews of the ghetto, in reaction to the final uh, deportations, the, uh, attempt at deportation. The Nazis had liquidated most of the ghetto the previous summer. It actually starts on Tisha B'av, so it's very apropos for this time of year. In in Tisha B'av 1942, like, just like the Churban Beis happened, the Churban of the greatest Jewish community in Europe uh, took place started then. It goes on for two months and nearly 300,000 Jews of the ghetto are sent to the gas chambers of Treblinka. Treblinka, remember, is a death camp. There's no concentration camps, there's no selection, there's no numbers on the arms, there's no uniforms. It's You get off the train, they're sent to the gas chambers. End of story. So anyone being sent from Warsaw is being sent to be killed right away. By the time they understand what Treblinka is, the Great Deportation was over. It ended around Yom Kippur uh, in 1942. It's a two-month-long deportation uh, of extermination Warsaw Jewry. So the remaining Jews of Warsaw, about 60,000 who are left, which is a shell of its former nearly half a million, um, they understand. They finally understand that the Nazis have been lying to them. No one's being sent for labor. No one's being sent to new camps. This is being sent to be killed. So they understand one thing at the end of this summer, 1942. Now, when the Nazis start taking Jews out of the ghetto, that means they're going to be killed. certainty. At this point they say we're going to all die anyway so so we have nothing to lose. It's kind of like a hopeless, very desperate situation Um, so during that winter they many of them create bunkers, they start to hide uh, scared that the Nazis will make another further liquidation and a group of young uh, individuals in the ghetto they try to organize a fighting force to fight back with some very primitive weapons homemade Molotov cocktails and a few handguns that they bought in the black market or got from the Polish resistance and they Uh, and they attempt to make this, to to get ready for the next deportation. The Nazis decide to continue the liquidation. The Nazis call the shots here. The Nazis make the decisions. The Nazis decide at this point it's time to continue taking the last Jews of Warsaw to so it actually starts on April 19, 1943. It's Pesach. Um, so we have Tishabov, we have Yom Kippur, we have Pesach. It's interesting that all the stages take place on very significant days in the Jewish calendar, but the Nazis were the ones who called those shots, like I said. And in reaction to the attempted uh, 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 transport, deportation, assembling the last Jews of Warsaw. In reaction to that, there's the uprising. Uh, A group of between 750 and 1,000 Jews start fighting back. Everyone else is passively supporting the uprising by being hidden away in the bunkers and not listening to the Nazis to assemble like they had in the previous stages because now everyone understands what this assembly, what, this, what these trains mean. It's trains to death. There's no chance of survival. So since we're all going to die, let's die this way instead of that way. It makes no difference. Um, we have to understand their frame of mind. They're desperate people who don't see any hope. They don't see any way out. And uh, this is... Just simply a natural reaction to
3: that situation. You know, there are those. Ramanachem Zemba famously is the one who, of the, the Gedalim who was very, was for it. And the decision was criticized by others later, Reb Simcha Elberg and other Rabbanim. And some of the things they said were like it was suicide because there was no way they could beat the Nazi war machine. Now. It sounds from what you're saying that the death rate was almost 100% going to Treblinka, right?
1: Yeah, basically 100%.
3: So, like, it was suicide. It was like they were anyway going to die. So, it doesn't seem like they put themselves at any type of risk. Would you agree with that?
1: I agree with that. And, and, and I mean, there's all these testimonies about people like Ramanachim Zemba and, and others who supported it in those last months, meaning the summer before. They would have been against it and some of them actually were because no one knew yet what, what, what this meant. But at this point, you have to, we have to go into their mindset. We're sitting 75 years later trying to pass judgment. They are so desperate and so hopeless that, of course, it makes sense. Why not? Like you just said, it's, it's suicide because anyways, we're going to die. So what's the difference? And others uh, said,
3: I, I saw others wrote that they put others at risk. Those who who, who went to war put others at risk. like. Nobody survived the Warsaw Ghetto, so who was put at risk because of this?
1: Exactly, it's a misunderstanding of what was going on. Um, People either make the mistake that, that these Warsaw Jews would have been sent to a place like Auschwitz, where there was a Selexia, there was a concentration camp, and therefore had they had, had the Schuss been sent to Auschwitz, then maybe some would have, uh, survived because they would have passed, uh, selection. But the reality is that at this stage Auschwitz was irrelevant as far as, as far as Warsaw Jews are concerned. They were being sent to Treblinka. So it was a hundred percent guarantee basically that they would have been killed. So I don't, I don't see it that anyone was being put at more risk than they would have been Otherwise uh, have, have, so had they not done it
3: who was against it? who was pro and who was against the uh, the Wasser uprising?
1: Um, the The initiative for it comes from young kids basically in their 20s, almost entirely irreligious, although there were significantly some religious groups, including a couple of um, young Polish rabbanim who were involved as well, who led groups of Hasidim in, 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 in the uprising itself. But it was primarily these young kids, basically. And, you know, the older people who were more diverse, said, no, let's go to hiding, um, let's you know, to fight it, you know, people who have more reservations, who are more nervous about these things. It comes, like, from the youth. Uh, at the last stage, when, when it comes to April 1943, it's hard to find anyone in Warsaw who is out against it. In earlier stages, people were against it. In other ghettos, you do find that there was more opposition to it, and each ghetto had its own unique set of circumstances and has to be judged on its own merit according to the location where it was, according to the Nazi plans of liquidation. But we're talking about specifically Warsaw. I don't know of anyone who in the last stage was outright against it. I know, for example, when the first uh, deportation, in the summer of 1942, there was Alexander Zusha, the Mayona Shel one of the heads of the, freedmen, the, the one of the heads of Agudas Yisrael. He was on the Judenrat. And um, when the, the idea was proposed that maybe the Jews should fight back, so he and a couple of other senior... Members said, absolutely not. They were against it, and they spoke out against it, and it makes sense at that time. They don't know what Treblinka is. They don't know the certainty of death, so it makes sense to be against it because you're putting other people at risk. Women, children, the Nazis will kill us all if we do an uprising, but at the last stage when everyone understood that they're going to die anyway and you have nothing to lose, I don't know of anyone who spoke out clearly against an uprising in Warsaw. Although I've, I've met survivors and I've met... That people and read read about people who deny completely that that it, it would that anyone would, uh, would would be supportive of such a thing, and it has to be that all the rabbanim were against it. Obviously, we can't ask these rabbanim because all of them were killed. We can't ask. Why why, why
3: would they be against it?
1: Because uh, from Tyre, Jews don't don't do these things. They don't uh, get up and fight. And
3: well, doesn't it say? Know, but, but doesn't it say? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> I think that's, that's a basic. Uh, yeah, exactly. I would think that's the basic reaction. That's why I said it's a very natural reaction. I, I agree with the habala Ar-Gash, and that's why they probably reacted that, that in that way. Once we they have, realized that it was certain death.
3: So let me ask you a question. For I've read letters from, you know, rabbanim, um, at the time of this, you know, and they say, you know, we wonder at the passivity of the Jews in Europe that they went sign Lataver. And they say that for a thousand years or thousands of years we survived with the concept of Stadlanus. That's Yisrael La Kal won't end and therefore we always paid, we always, we, we, we paid, we, we had Hanifa, we paid, you know, um, Shaykhad, we, we begged, we pleaded. We never went up in arms and it worked for 2,000 years, this concept of Shatlanis. In fact, when I had a few Satmara Rabban Aman, who were opposed to Israel. They said we're against, you know, the state of Israel because Shatlanis worked. My question to you is, I think the Holocaust proved that certainly in some situations, shtablanas doesn't work. And, you know, bribing, pleading, putting your head down, looking the other way, accepting some loss, it doesn't always work. It didn't work. Has that, has, because of that, do you think our, and by the way, this concept of Stadlonis, it's not in the Sarasar Debris, it's not one of the Tariag mitzvish, it's not one of the Yud Gimelikrim. It was sort of a policy that was sort of, you know, also a lot of it had to do with the fact that we were always helpless. I you from so, we Ben and we never had the ability. Does our view of Shaness and you know docility passivity does does it have to change because of the Holocaust? like hey, it didn't work uh,
1: yes meaning if we would learn anything from history, we, we learned that in certain situations, Stadlonis clearly did not work. The Warsaw Ghetto itself is a perfect example of it. In earlier stages of the ghetto, there were Jews arrested to be sent out of the ghetto and to the unknown. And uh, and uh, Adam Cheniakov, the head of the Judenrat, raised money from Jews in the ghetto to bribe the Nazis. They took his money, they laughed at him, and then they killed all the Jews anyway. It, 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 the, the, when you're dealing with the Nazis, Stadlonis becomes meaningless. It becomes a joke. So, like you said so. The, there's definitely a lesson to be learned that you have to read the situation carefully. And if 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 Lonis could work, then I guess it's a time-tested, um, also historically time-tested method that that could work. Then then go with it. But. Understand the situation, and Jews throughout history, I beg to correct uh, the Samers and all the whoever else you know said that out there. there were situations throughout history that they did fight back they didn 't only go katin Latavach. there were instances before that where they fought too during Tafutat and other times um, so so it does exist. Jews know how to do it when the time Calls for it, and of course, if the times does not call for it, then they know how to do shadlanis very well. Also, and you have to be smart enough to be flexible and adapt to the situation and read it correctly uh, each time to either go the shadlanis route or to be able to stand up for yourself and defend yourself.
3: And I would, I would just add on to this to all our listeners who are saying that you know maybe we're not doing we're not agreeing with astayr et cetera. That I don't have a shulchan aruch in front of me, but the shulchan aruch I believe it's in shin Tess in Archaim, talks about a ir a that Goyim come to attack, how you go out on Shabbos, right, if they're coming, al-dinei etc., there's certain conditions, but where you're, there's a, there's a, there's you go out, and all the cities around them should come to, to fight as well, so the, and if, I believe the Bach, in, 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 uh in over there says that it has to den of a Muhammad's Mitzvah. Even in is it's interestingly, like So the concept of Jews defending themselves is actually blur in the Shulchan Aruch. It's based on the Gemara and Shabbos, etc. So Shadlanus was a tactic, but it doesn't say any place, and it's not a, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's true. How you die, you die Oh, how you you die. you means is their first. You know look, is, look instead of let's have a discussion let me let me smack you in the face, let me punch you in the nose, but that doesn't mean that Klael Yisrael doesn't have the uh the option of Ab Hashkim Lagai. So just think halachically, I just want to point out that it's correct. What happened to all those left in the Warsaw ghetto?
1: So um, some, some were sent from there um, to Treblinka at the end of the uprising. Some, the Nazis, as a result of, of some fighters getting to Treblinka, some of the fighters ended up in Treblinka, and one of them set off a Molotov cocktail that killed SS there. So the Treblinka SS said no more Jews from Warsaw. So the Nazis decided instead to send uh, Warsaw Jews to Majdanek, um, which, there, which was also a concentration camp, so some of them passed the selection and, and survived the war. Others went into hiding and, you know during, during the last days of the uprising, crawled through the sewers and, and managed to get to the other side of Warsaw, and some Poles risked their lives to save them and hide them till the end of the war. So there were you know a couple of thousand Jews from Warsaw who did survive by hook or by crook, um, and those are the few who managed to, to do so miraculously.
3: What is left today of the uh, Warsaw Ghetto? You do tours. What's left?
1: Yeah, I do tours there. There's basically nothing left. The Nazis burned down the whole thing. Um, There's memorials, quite a few memorials, but almost nothing original. There's one little piece of the wall that's original that we go to. Um, There's one building that they refurbished that was was inside. Other than that, it's just a bunch of memorials around the center of town where the ghetto once was.
3: I don't know if you're aware that a few weeks ago, they were doing excavations in Warsaw, and they uncovered the bunker...
1: Yeah, Mila eighteen.
3: Mila eighteen. Mm-hmm. Right at Mordechai. Um, Anilevich. Anilevich. Right, and they found you know Dassim and Hebrew there and shoes etc. And um, so it would be the only remnant of a real bunker from uh, from the concentration camp. Um, I don't know if the that's ghetto. The yes, for sure from the ghetto. I don't know if that's where Menachem Zemba ever was. Do you, would you know that? I mean, if, He was who,
1: nearby. He was a block or two away, so I don't think he was in that bunker. Um, so I don't know if it's Menachem Zemba's personal artifacts, but the fact that one of the artifacts they found was a parrots fill I thought was a very good ending to the story, because for 75 years, we're busy saying, you know, what happened is is that that the Warsaw Uprising got caught in the politics of the state of Israel in the 1950s, basically, and that's that Painted our memory of it. Instead of remembering the desperate situation of Warsaw Jewry in the 1940s, we remembered the inter-Jewish politics of the State of Israel in the 1950s, where there was a lot of religious against secular, Zionists against non-Zionists, and all that baggage that 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 took that had it, and that colored our perception of it. So Mordechai Nelevitch was Shomer Hatzair, secular, and most of the fighters were like that, or Bundist or whatever. There were religious ones, and there were Hasidim as well, like I said, but they were a tiny minority. Most of them were is so therefore our image of it is, is that but then you go ahead, what, what is one of the artifacts found in Mila 18? A parrot's fillin and that really to me was like, ah, oh, finally we can have part of the memory of Mila 18 that fillin is associated with that memory as well and I think that's beautiful
3: I want to share with you that the, somebody sent us seven bricks from that they just uncovered from the from the remnants of Mila 18 and on Tisha B'av this year, we're going to have a ceremony in our shul in Muncie, in the Balshem shul. We were actually going to have a few survivors, put them into the wall, cement them into the wall of the shul.
1: Oh, wow. Wow, that's very special. Amazing.
3: Yeah, it's like I say, the, it's the story of the... Sailor. Uh, wow.
1: That's very right. powerful. Look, there is right. a one of the survivors of the Warsaw Ghetto was a a, a, a guy named Hillel Zeidman, He was a Mazkir of uh he was a Ger-Hasef. interesting fellow after the war also. Um, and he um he said that, uh, um, that he, uh, he, 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 dream- one of the things he wrote about the, the Warsaw ghetto, he, he dreams that one day the bricks of Warsaw, uh, from the Warsaw ghetto, were so many Yidn and Nefesh, and it's not just during the ghetto, but the hundreds of years of Polish Jewry, of Hasidus, of Torah, of Yeshivas, of, of everything, Keilus, he said, we'll take, in a, in a metaphorical sense, we'll take bricks there and add them in a road to the Kaisla Maravi, so that when Mashiach comes, we have the contribution of every tachana, of every stop in our long exile, the contribution of each community, of each diaspora, what they brought to the Ruchnias of the Jewish people to bring the Geula. And we don't want the Warsaw Jews and the Polish Jews to be forgotten, so we should have symbolically the bricks. Uh, that, that they contributed, K'ilu, to the Gulu coming to of their mysterious Nefesh. So he, he referred to that, the, the bricks of Warsaw. So here you have it, like in, in what you just said about the bricks of Warsaw being incorporated into modern day Medrash as a bridge between the past, the present, and the future, that we're continuing their legacy, we're continuing their mysterious Nefesh. I think that's very, very moving.
3: Well, thank you. This was really fascinating. Kulta, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Joining us from Chicago is Rabbi Ruven Brand. He's the Rosh Kehl of the YU and The reason he's here today is because he's the head of the Midwest Center for Jewish Learning and he teaches at the Holocaust Museum. And he speaks about one of the things he speaks about are the, is the Warsaw Ghetto. Welcome, Rabbi Ruven. Shalom Aleichem. Rabbi Ruven, talk to us about the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, what these Gideulim, what, what their experience was they, they had over there, and what caused them to come to this decision of, you know, basically, in effect, at some level, commit suicide with a, an impossible attack upon the great Nazi military machine?
2: So, obviously, it's impossible to, with one brush, just paint a picture of such a diverse and remarkable and unique circumstance that was the Jewish community in the Warsaw ghetto uh, during the war the first when the Germans arrived there was no there was no actual ghetto but it took uh, a few months almost about a year until they established a ghetto but this was a confined small area where you had hundreds of thousands of Jews who were living of all kinds and in that so to speak, ecosystem, that bizarre ecosystem where there were some people who were going to work and there were some people who were, who were dying on the streets of starvation. There was this unbelievable explosion and Jewish life that thrived. It's hard to believe, but it thrived, whether that meant in yeshivas that were in bunkers or sewers, it was in small shtiblach or cloison where they had, and there were many, many documented uh, descriptions of Jews who were Moser, Nefesh, Mamish, to observe Torah and mitzvot in the most difficult and indescribable circumstances. So that's kind of like the big picture, to realize that despite all of the horrors that were going around them, and the the killings and the horrible, horrible things, and the deportations, so many Jews were committed To the Rav Shalom to committed to Torah Mitzvahs. And so as part of that, part of the the question became how to respond in terms of resistance. So one type of resistance, you could say, to the German occupiers and to their collaborators was spiritual resistance. The fact that people were committed to Torah Mitzvahs, that's one form of resistance. But then the question became, what about active resistance? So there were different personalities and different Rebbers, different Siddiqui who felt differently about this.
3: Walk us through some of the, you know, some of the experiences and some of their opinions. Let's give us a, a mini share on it.
2: So, imagine the Heliger Redziner Rebbe, and the Radziner. he was encouraging his to take up axes and knives and attack Germans and do whatever they could to resist physically. And on the other hand, you had other Rabbanim who were... More focused, let's say, the Helic of Rebbe, Shemikom Damus who was focused on nurturing the neshamas and giving chizuk locally to the people who were in the ghetto. So he gave thrashos, published famously later as the Ish Kodesh. So different, different Rebbes and different tzaddikim and different gedolim experienced and reacted differently to the circumstance. The core question is, should a person, from a halachic standpoint, should a person live to survive another day? Or should they take up arms and risk being killed instantly? You know, this is part of a general halachic question, which you can contextualize in different ways. You can think about the difference between Chizkiyo HaMelech and Rabbi Yochanan Menzakai, where the Helik he was a great tzaddik, and he stood up and he resisted. And ultimately the bosom saved him. And Rabbi Yochanan Menzakai, also great tzaddik, in a similar type of circumstance in a siege, he said, we got to fold it. And it's not coincidental that the Gemara says that when Rabiokinam and Zakkai said he was going to the next world, he said he was going to be greeted by Hizkiyo Amelach. So there have always been these types of questions about whether it's better to fight or to fold. In the case of Rabiokinam and Zakkai, he knew it was a war that wasn't able to be won. So then the question became, well, in the ghetto, there was no way that they were going to be able to win this war, so... You know, one of the greatest gaonim at that time in the ghetto was Rabbanacham Zemba, who before the war, he was one of the greatest rabbanim in Warsaw, and you could argue in the whole world. He was a a force, both from his warmth and his Hasidic upbringing, but also in his limud. You know, unfortunately... When he was killed on Shabbos Kolamoid of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, running from one building to the other, he was shot. He was gone, but so were 10,000 pages of Chidushet Torah, of his birish on the Rambam and on the Yerushalmi. You know, we have just a few pieces, bits, in the Zerah Avram, in a safer it's called Toto's Chaim, but we lost just a world of Torah with Rav Nahum Zemba, and he was the, the Rosh Hashiva of a network of sewers and bunkers where Bacchum were learning. He was just unbelievable force in the ghetto, and there is some debate about what his view was, because after the war in the late 1950s there was a Rav Simcha Elberg who was the publisher of HaPardes which is a well-known Torah journal and he publishes an essay where he says the title of this essay which was in the Nisan and Tavshin Yates, is the merit HaGeto Bavarsha of Rav Zemba Zatzal. and he says I was a Talmud Vosik of Rav Zemba and it's impossible to believe that Rav Zemba would ever subscribe to this and the context of this polemic is that there were there were those at that time who were trying to emphasize spiritual heroism this was a big debate in Israel and the whole question about the establishment of Yom HaShoah and commemorating Jews who were strong fighters as opposed to the narrative of, you know, the weak who went to the slaughter. And so to say to somehow, Rabbi Simcha Elberg says, to somehow co-opt Rabbi Nacham Zemba into that secular narrative is horrible and it's a terrible thing and it's not true. The challenges is that we have evidence, we have people who were there. So Simcha Elberg was a long-time Talmud before, but... There was a man who was interviewed in a newspaper called Hatsulf, uh, that was published in Tishrei of Tuf Shin Daled, excuse me, Tufshin Zain, October of nineteen forty six, where he described his personal meeting and experience with Rabin Akham Zemba. His name was Feingold, and he says he was there with Rabbi Akham Zemba at a meeting. Rabbi Akam Zemba said over a Vart. Apparently he said over a verse that relates to the parsha that says diyoma of Nikom nikmas So he, he says Rav Zemba was was talking there together with the Rav Shimson Stockhammer, who was one of the Rabbanim in Warsaw. And he says I want to understand what's going on here with this whole parsha of midyanim. On the one hand we have a pasuk that tells us On the other hand we're told nikmas hashem we should go out there and fight. So he says the difference is says this uh, article in the name of Rahman Zemba, that in one case, the nekama of a person is a personal matter. That's a person taking out their own nigiyas on somebody else. As opposed to the nikmas Hashem, that's for l'man ha baruchu, kalal And that's a mitzvah chassa, when it's not miskavnim nim it's not for ourselves. So he says that's what is called upon at this at this time, when he says that everybody knows, he says he thinks that according to the halacha, just gathering whatever arms we have, that even though we might be killed, this is a bechina of melchemes mitzvah, of Kiddush Hashem, and that Kiddush Hashem exists in this context. And it's confirmed by a report from a really extraordinary, amazing person who we need to mention the context of the Warsaw Ghetto. His name is the late Dr. Hillel Seidman. The Hillel Seidman was a chronicler. He wrote a, a book called the Warsaw Ghetto Diaries. Yeoman Ghetto Varsha. It was originally published in Yiddish. It was it was originally pieced together in Yiddish and then in Hebrew. The, the story of this document of how it survived, part of it survived with him in a trap suitcase after he was arrested and put in the Powiak prison in the Warsaw Ghetto. He ultimately made it to France. He came back to Warsaw to dig up the other piece. And it's just an incredible work, because not only is it a contemporaneously written document, it's not something that somebody remembers from later. It's something that he wrote Bishas Maisa, so he writes diary entries, and in the back he writes, people I knew in the ghetto. He, he writes about people that, before I started this journey of learning about, the people who were there, I never even heard of them. Activists, gedolim, public figures, amazing people. And he has a piece on just amazing stories about Rav Nahum Zemba. He describes he knew Rav Nahum Zemba personally. He said at one point Rav Nahum Zemba had an apartment on the top floor of the building, he gives it an address and it was the fall. So Rabnacham Zemba busted open the top of the apartment so that people started just streaming through because it became a Sukala. Sukala So people just passed through Rab Zemba's apartment and I would go give Bakinas to guys. So Rav Rabhil Sidman, the Khorne of Sidman documents, he said he remembers hearing from Rabbi zemba saying that the Kiddush hashem requirement of the day is to stand up and fight. And that was his halachic opinion, even though they knew the odds were impossible and stacked against them. He writes this in a journal entry in the Yeoman Begetovarsha in January of
3: 19. So, what was the point of Rabbi Nachum and what was the opposition of of, of of Simcha Elberg?
2: So, Simcha Elberg, remember, is, is writing years later. He's writing at the end of the 1950s. He's writing in a context where people we, there was this, people were arguing. From a polemic standpoint about, you know, the passivity of Jews during the war versus this new image of strong Jews in the modern state of Israel. So that's one context. And the second one is this issue about how could it be? How could they commit suicide? And what it sounds like from Rav Zemba, as he's quoted, both in the.
3: So wait, wait. So what? what so. The first part is a political issue. I don't know what well, he's saying, the strong Jew. I'm not, what was his opposition to the strong Jew? I'm not following. So,
2: so it seems, and this is there is a, a lot more literature on this. Uh, Rabbi Jacob J. Schachter, my teacher, has uh, discussed this and written about this. The question of the establishment of Yom HaShoah in Israel was highly controversial. It was not done in consultation with the Rabbanut HaRashid, or other Gedolim, for various reasons. It was established for that day, for Yom HaShoah, in Nissan and not included in Tisha There were conversations with the Chazanesh, Zeichat Tzarek Levracha, with Rav Yosef Dovah Levi Soloveitchik, Zeichat Levracha, with the Briska So Yom HaShoah was originally, the formulation of that text was originally a commemoration for the Gevura, for the might of those who were killed in the war, specifically focused on mered the the ghetto uprisings. Well, the ghetto uprisings is only one form of spirituality. And there were many people, secular but primarily religious, who were insulted by this. They said, what do you mean? The Kadoshim who died, al Hashem, who went to their death quietly, they, they, also, they also had Kavura. They maintained their personal dignity, their connection to their Boshlulim. So they actually changed the name several years later. They changed the name of Yom HaShoah several years later. But that kind of reflects the tone of where there were Jews in Israel who are trying to emphasize that this is a state, this is a state of proud Jews, not Jews who are going to walk like sheep to the slaughter. So now, when you look back on the Holocaust, how does that make you feel if you're trying to create this narrative of? you know, Jews are strong and we stand up for ourselves. Well, the millions of Achina B'nai Yisrael who were murdered, so they didn't stand up for themselves. So you kind of downplay that, and you rather emphasize the idea that people stood up and they took arms. And so the the argument, one of the arguments here for Simcha Elberg is that to argue to claim that Rameinachem Zemba supported taking up arms is co-opting him into this narrative that the way for Jews to display gvura is through armed resistance. So, I think the counter argument to that is to say that we're not going to engage in polemics. What we're going to say is that from a Torah standpoint, there are multiple ways to express Kiddush Hashem. And I think that's what Dr. Seidman, Hillel Seidman, is saying that Rabbi Acham Zemba himself said. He said that there are some kufas in which Kiddush Hashem is living al-Kiddush Hashem and some tekufas that it's dying al-Kiddush Hashem. He, he, he would say that, he said in this other article, he said that when Jews were forced to be baptized, then... Rejecting the baptism—that's dying al Kiddush Hashem—but they don't have that option in the Holocaust.
3: The, after the uh, Warsaw Ghetto became popularized, you know, in, in Israeli culture as sort of the, one of the sort of the acts of heroism during World War II, there were a number of rabbinim who wrote letters about it, and some of them were opposed. And some of the issues were—and um, by the way, it's not the first time this occurred. It's—it's it's quite similar in some ways to what happened at Masada, right? I mean, there was a mass suicide and here it was more of like an impossible battle. I mean, 700 people armed with crowbars and a few Molotov cocktails against a German war machine. And a number of them discussed, is there a problem? Are you allowed to commit suicide or do an act? that's basically the equivalent of the act of suicide, um, which is what it was, right? They were bombed basically to obliteration and those that were left were sent to Treblinka, etc., or uh, the death camps. Is there, and halachically can one commit suicide when, is such, when one is in such a situation? That was one of the criticisms of the, uh, some of those had against the people of the Warsaw Ghetto. And I was curious of how logically you've ever spoken about that.
2: So this, Question about committing suicide really dates back to the Tosfos, where unfortunately we know from the Tisha Kinos and historical sources that there were Rishonim who dealt with this issue, especially in the Crusade period, where they were surrounded in a fortress and they were faced with either you know gruesome execution or forbes Baptism of their children, Loa Lainu. So there were those who chose, and there were two opinions, and we were shown him, especially among the Baleitosis, whether or not that was proper. But it seems that in this case, it's slightly different because that was, number one, a case of Shmad.
3: But can we, so, so let's talk about that case first, because I think that's an important. In the case of, let's say, the uh, Masada, or the case of the Baleitosis, where I believe says that uh, you're allowed to kill yourself rather than, if you know you can't be Ayman bin and you're going to end up um, converting, he's you're allowed to kill yourself, Rabenetan says, and the tour brings two opinions on it, this question. More about it, he says, there are people who killed their children.
2: Right, yes.
3: And, yes. and they bring a riot from Shoal that says Shoal killed himself. But
2: there's and, a different on, on, on deal with that. This, you know, the question becomes, in the case of Ramenachim Zemba, they had and the people who were living in the Warsaw Ghetto, they did not view this, at least the way that it's clearly being reported by Dr. Seidman and others, they did not view this as suicide. They view this as an act of Kiddush Hashem befoal, meaning it's likely that they would die, but what they were doing was an act of Nikmas Hashem so to speak. That was going to have consequences. And what's interesting is that even though the Gon Adir of Henkin wrote a strongly worded piece opposing, um, criticizing the Warsaw Ghetto, because he says, look, Lamaisa, they were all killed, and that caused the Germans to be more fearful of revolts and it had other repercussions. But it's hard to know, it's a thought experiment, to wonder what physics that gave people, what impact it had on other Jews, and maybe that enabled them to feel like they could go on and live another day, because there were Jews who were fighting. And the fact that Rav Menachem Zemba, according to the the simple and overwhelming understanding of the mainstream historians, the fact that Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar supported that gave significant credence to that.
3: Let's let's unpack what's being spoken about. So, Rav Henkin said, yes, it could have caused the greater fury. Right? Well, I mean, we have a concept in in in, in, in Shas of both Mohammed Mitzvah and a Mohammed Rishas. This would would apparently be a Mohammed Mitzvah. It doesn't say anywhere that you shouldn't engage Right in the Mohana Smith, which is basically a Balharge Hashkimharga, or like Shulchar says in Shabbos and Shinchaftes. I don't have a Shulchan Ar, but I'm I'm it's a code, trust me. That year Hakra Sapra that you're allowed to come out, it doesn't say, Well, let's make a thing. They surrounded your city, you want to come out and defend yourself and kill the Gaim. Maybe if you kill the Gaim, the Gaiim will kill people in another community, so don't defend yourself. I mean, it doesn't say this, not in the not in the Beis Yosef, not in the Bach, not in the Prisha, not in the, nobody says this, right? Not in the Magen Avram. So it seems that when a person has to go to battle to what they think is a Mohammed, I'm just asking, this is what I would ask Rav Henkin, you don't have to make the account, look, I'm defending myself, will they get, will they be furious someplace else? You don't see this. I mean, ha, ha, how could you, how could you have a war with those type of, with those type of parameters? You can never have a war, like maybe somebody will get more furious someplace else. Else. Oh, well, and so then, I think Rav Hankin would
2: say it's not just that they would get far superior somewhere else, it's that it was a hopeless effort. And so, you know, it was essentially, Rav Hankin would say, it was essentially uh, cutting their life down. Okay, so.
3: so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. He would say it's a type of suicide. So let's discuss it. It says by Shoal, um, what does the Pasik say? A tichbat and they found him. Kill me. Kenisht. He says
2: Kenisht.
3: exactly. Don't, don't make a mockery of me. Right? And what is, what do we say in Chazal? That multiple Chazal say that he was, uh, he, he, went to Shmuel, said, if you do that, you'll be b- b- in my Mechitza in Ganeden. That's the, that's the Yaukut Shmuel. In, in, in Noyach, it says, l'naf that there's is an is of Harigas Atzmoy, the exception being a case of Shol Hamelech. Right, that's another another thing. The um, it says in Do- by David it says that he rather made David by vakech David. He says why because sholay nispad Now when somebody commits suicide, you're not allowed to be maspah him and you can't write steps in Shin Menhei. So you can't say, so you can't say that Shol died with suicide and there was a Tzvi why was kalacha? When is it in Nisbad when there's an to be So you see clearly from Chazal and additionally, Shulchan Aruch and Shin Menhei Paskins that somebody who commits suicide um, is Nikfar, Chutzla, you know, outside of the semit. The exception is if he was killed like Shol, then you treat him like everybody else. And the guy brings these Chazals the a curse. We so see Shol was not considered as Suicide. Why? For a number of reasons. One, because he said he's alulubi. They'll they'll have a good time. Because they we need to torture him or mock right. him. And right. um so all of these of the above were in. A, so I would ask Krav Henkin the following question: Even if it is a suicide, it's at the very worst. It's like Shoal's suicide, which said he went. He was in the mechitzah of Shmuel because of the way he did it. So wh- why would you be opposed to that?
2: So I I can't speak obviously for the late zone. I don't know. Certainly, what he would say. Perhaps he's thinking that they should have followed what others did in other places, and they did until then, which is still a hate and try to live another day. And it's at least it's kaiysha, but I don't know. I think
3: uh, almost a hundred percent of the of the ghetto, right? Uh, we had a historian on before. He said weren't sent to Auschwitz. They were sent to Treblinka, which wasn't a concentration camp, it was a death camp.
2: It was a death camp, right? The Germans so, made six death camps, and. The, the people who went to Trebrunka it was almost uh, not shy of to leave there Lola.
3: right so so, uh, I mean they at this point certainly believed there was no place they were going they
2: So ha- very well yeah, they re- there's a very fascinating you know there was an underground newspaper in the Warsaw ghetto that was published under the Aguda it was an anonymous document but we believe at least the great scholar Esther she believes that it was from Alexander Zusha Friedman I don't know if when you were Bar Mitzvah did they give you a Yannish people-
3: yes yeah. yeah,
2: so he- he was likely the secret editor of this.
3: Yara Yes, yeah,
2: so he was a secretly writing this paper, and it came time, Purim, in, in, uh, in Purim time, he was already publishing an underground pamphlet, characterizing the Germans as Amalek, and understanding full well that the plan was to totally exterminate completely L'Hashmet L'Harug They knew, they knew exactly what they were dealing with. They definitely knew that. They knew. Unfortunately, they knew what they were dealing with, and other places also. There was a rav who was in Warsaw at the time. Who was uh, he was a uh, musmach of the yeshivas Chachmei Lublin. You know that the, the last yeshiva. The Rav. There, so he had a talmud whose name was Rav Chaim Arye Berglas. Rav Chaim Arye Berglas had a friend who's a chaver of his from Lublin, who was a rav in Lublin. It's an unbelievable document that uh, I was able. to, I have to give Akaras to to the Yad Vashem archives, they were able to get me a copy of this letter. There are two letters that in the summer and then in the fall of 1942 in Lublin, Reb Hirsh Melech Talmud, he was a function, one of the final functioning rubs in the yeshiva, in the, the city, as a musmach, dealing with people. He wrote a letter. It's a heartbreaking, unbelievably powerful letter. He writes to his who who's in Warsaw. He says to him, I'm writing to you. I want to let you know what's doing. I ask you, please don't judge me for what I'm going to write right now. He says, I'm ma'min be'emun ha'slema, be'emun ha'slema ma'min, but I also can't come to grips with what's happening, what happens to my son. He says, my son is at Sadek, he's a kadosh, he's a tar, and look what happened to him. He says, there are people here in Lublin who when they get on the trains, they don't know where they're going. He says, I can tell you, I know exactly where they're all going, every single one of them. He's writing this to his friends, they're corresponding in Warsaw in the summer and the fall of 1942. People knew, unfortunately. So perhaps what was driving at least at some point the way that Professor Seidman says it and others is that Renachem Sandler said, Look, it's true, maybe we could survive a couple of days, but we know what their plan is and this is the Sava Shah. And he wasn't the only one, uh, I mentioned the zener who there are different legends as how exactly the last the, the Red Ziner was his last moments of exactly spitting a German or slapping a German, but he was very in, in support of active resistance. And I think part part of the issue here as you mentioned, is really the narrative. If you come out and say that these are different approaches, so then that's one thing. But I think people are having this visceral reaction to a more, unfortunately, secular characterization that the true Borum were the people who resisted physically. And we don't believe that. We believe that the both different drachim, which is, at the end of the day, what Rav Elberg, with Simcha Elberg writes in his, in the Ha-Pardis article, he's not really criticizing the revolt he's saying the people who participated participated the people who didn't didn't he said he can't believe that rabbinachem zemba participated we know that it's likely that not only did he participate in encouraging but he gave his halachic temple but the, the the idea of these were both approaches that people grappled with all the time in the warsaw ghetto and other places it's just amazing when you take a step back and realize that people were asking shilas in this context that there were rabbanim who were getting together and they were being omid on the peric of what are, what are the needs, not just the physical needs, but also the, the ruchmustica ruch needs.
3: Reb thank you very much for your time. Meizchus,
2: really. Take thank it. you for the opportunity. Call Call to to me.
3: Joining us from New York is Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. He's the Rav of to Teferes Mardachai in Cedarhurst. He's the author of a number of svarim about the Holocaust, including the art scroll book Darkness at Dawn. Welcome, Reb Daniel.
4: Shalom uh, alaykum Abdava, Thank you for the opportunity. Good morning.
3: So you know, we want to speak about the Warsaw Ghetto, and you know it's it's a resistance that became enshrined by you know in Eretz Yisrael, certainly by the secular Israelis as a sign of heroism and you know how unarmed, a group of unarmed, you know, basically against the might of the German army and how long they kept them at bay, a great sacrifice. And uh, it was done they say Ramanakam Zemba, the Khajiglavarov, um Rav Gahana was there, and um, I understand that your grandfather was in the advisor, or not the advisor? Was the mashbach, mashamish is by Rebbe Nachum Zemba during this period? Can you tell us what your family, what the Kabbalah is, ish in your family, what transpired there?
4: Look, uh, look. Thank you for the opportunity just to share some uh, very personal memories of what my grandfather told told me personally. I heard this from him many times. Um, my grandfather revered Rebbe Zemba. My grandfather. Was a resident of Varsha. He had smicha from the Varsha of uh, Rav, Rav Soma Kahanim, before the war. Um, he was very close with the Rabbanim in Warsaw. Uh, at the time, as he mentioned, there were three great Goine Rav Shimshin Shtakhammer, Rav Nachim Zemba, and Rav Davit Shapiro, who he was the, the third, the Rav Davit Shapiro was the youngest among them. And uh, we'll, we'll speak about, they were given the opportunity to flee, but uh, Rav Menachem Zemba was the preeminent uh, God the my grandfather, always described what Menachem Zemba's house looked like. Uh, Menachem Zemba had more than 10,000 pages of Chidush Torah. He had a svarim shrank behind his chair, not filled with svarim, filled with his own personal manuscripts, um, a commentary on the entire Rambam, called Mach HaMelech, uh, and a commentary on the entire Yushalmi, called Menachem Yushalayim, hundreds of tshuvahs on the entire Bavli, Shulchanach, and the entire Medrash. So Menachem Zemba was offered to be the Rashiva of uh, Chachmah Lublin after Mayor Shapiro, who was offered to be the Chief Rabbi of Jerusalem. He was the God on Adar, and he was the number one address to every pressing Shiloh in those very dark times. Look, this is a matter of considerable controversy, and it's important to shape, understand by the way? why...
3: They say yes. that his he had <coughs> nineteen volumes of Chidushim on the Rambam that were buried in the Warsaw Ghetto and they could not be found. And I understand many attempts yeah, were, were made, made to find the the writings of. And his, he was a big correspondent with the Ragitchava, who considered him an equal, amazingly, as, as well as Remei Simcha the Meishachahma. And, and, and
4: another point that my grandfather would uh, would would make, and I, I want a uh, very important to convey, is you know all those names you mentioned are are you know brilliant luminaries, the Midois of Ramanachem Zemba are Loyu Umman uman ki I, I heard that he would go to the, the Gael Rebbe's and he would sit in the crowd like anybody else. After one tishem lasted many hours, the person behind him had his elbow dug into Ramanachem Zemba's back for hours. And after he saw, saw what he did to Ramanachem Zemba for hours, he said, I'm so sorry. Ramanachem said, no, when we, when we stand in front of the Rebbe, we're all equal. So he, had, he his midos were otherworldly, and he was offered, by the way, meant, to be
3: he was he was offered to be the Rav of Yerushalayim. Well, after Rav Zanun but, 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 but whatever, he was offered to be Rav Yerushalayim. He was also, like you say, offered to be Rashi and Chachmei Lublin.
4: Yeah, I and and uh, besides my grandfather being a Ben Baiz by Rav Zemba, my grandfather was also best best friends so with from Menachem Zemba's two nephews, Avrom Chazemba, and it's Zemba, who were both big Talmud Chachamim. Uh, incredibly, my grandfather was with Avram Chazemba in Auschwitz, and uh, Avram Chazemba passed away 50 years ago, and my grandfather and his best friend a bunch of them were buried on the exact same day, third day of Pesach, 50 years apart. But in any event... Well, by the way, um,
3: one more note, Tao. Let's here. Reb Chaim yeah. served as the chairman of the mayatzes He said he would only do it if Rav Menachem Zem would do it in partnership. Rav Menachem Zem was only 45 years old at the time.
4: Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
3: Yeah. He was the one who spoke at the third Knesset He was the keynote speaker. He spoke... Twice in front of the entire crowd, it was considered the the address. that the thing. Was the address of Rabbanaham? Just to give people who never heard of him, because he he was killed, he was gunned down on, in yeah. the Warsaw Ghetto. Right? He he left. Yeah, yeah. His yeah. children were killed. He, his, he, his 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 he was, his his son. Didn't was machut, abram he
4: didn't have any surviving heirs. And his son uh, was, and, uh, his, his, was a machut with the Chubina Rav
3: And his was a machut with the Chubina Rav But his kids were killed. And there's no surviving grandchild in the world of Rabbanaham Zamba.
5: No, no.
3: The only thing we have yeah. from him, really, is
4: his Shabbat. <speaking in Hebrew> yeah, and yep. Taisha Shabbat. Yep. Taisha Shabbat. Yeah. Yep. So, as you mentioned, it's a point of considerable controversy, and for good reason. Look, Ela Arechav Elov Asusim, Von Achim Hashem Lekin and <in> Asker. <Hebrew> we never pride ourselves in physical arm and, and uh, physical resistance. And there were a great rabbanim who were students from Menachem Zemba, mm-hmm. Rab Simcha Elberg, held that there's no way Menachem Zemba endorsed the uprising. However, all I could say is, and, you know, I'm not willing to enter controversy, but my grandfather was there. Not only was he there, he was in Menachem Zemba's lookout during the uprising. And my grandfather says certainly Ramnacham Zemba held it was a matter of Kiddush Hashem. This is reported in writing by Rabbi Feingold. Uh he writes in nineteen forty two Rav Zemba said, tamze Ani roya Mitzvah the Mered, the Kiddush Hashem Yeshkan, Mochem That's what uh, gold reports. Of course, everybody knows uh, Rehilo Zeidman. Likewise, said uh, Rav Nacham uh, R- Zembe held that we could not go voluntarily. We needed to resist. We fooled ourselves into thinking that uh, they wouldn't, uh, the outcome wouldn't have been as it was. Actually, my grandfather had a remarkable vision. He just passed away uh, last year at 106 years old. And he said the hardest part about turning 100 was seeing the Rashi Osi C- C- so he had a remarkable vision, and he was Ramanachem Zemba's uh, lookout during the uprising. So one way they say that you could reconcile what uh, Rabbi Simcha Elberg maintained that Ramanachem Zemba did not support the uprising with what the other. Explain the debate. In.
3: Explain the debate. Why should you or why shouldn't you? What were the two sides? Uh, wh- wh- what did what? Rabbi Elberg think, and Rabbi Henkin, etc.? <laughs> why were they opposed to the Warsaw, uprising?
4: I tell you the truth. I'm not here to provide a halachic. Um, discussion about that, that issue. I'm here to tell you the facts, based on what my grandfather said, that what is said, what is reported as to why Seren Gdailem felt from, from the outside, it wouldn't have been uh, proper is because maybe it infuriated the Germans and it just, um, it hastened the liquidation of the Warsaw Ghetto. But for those who were there and for those who were present, there was a shift in attitude and this is a very important akuda. Between pre 1942 and post 1942, and this is something we see in the writings of the Piatzetsna. Pre 1942, Piatzetsna Rebbe told this Hasidim have bitachain, have faith. This is not a new phenomenon. We have to understand the tragedies and and the difficulties in the context of 2,000 years of galus. This is nothing new. We've been through Churban Beis HaMikdash, We've been through crusades. We've been through Inquisition, and this is just another chapter. We've, you know been there, done that. But in 1942, when the Germans began the systematic liquidation of European Jewry, the Pzatzin Rebbe amended his writings, and he said, everything I wrote was ad Khan but mi Now what we see, loy shama kamayu, the Jewish people have never experienced anything similar, comparable to this mass extermination. And it's suggested that it's it was under these new conditions that, while typically, you know, armed resistance was not the traditional Jewish approach to, uh, to dealing with the Gullahs, we usually tried um, more discreet diplomatic measures. But you know, um, uncalled for times called for uncalled for measures. This was something Rabinaham Zemba viewed perhaps as a hayirah shah because of this this experience that was just fundamentally and dramatically different than anything we ever experienced before. So Reb Zemba said, this is Mohammed's mitzvah. And look, um, you know, they asked the Elberg what, you know, Ba'kai Chlo was also a revolt, and Rabbi Kiva supported that. So uh, Rabbi Elberg said, well, that was different. That was in Eretz that was defending their homeland. This was in the GULF, And that may have been the traditional approach until 1942. So again, you know, I'll leave, uh, I'll leave the debate to people much greater than myself. I'm just... Uh, Reporting for the sake of historical record, what my grandfather told me, what he told our family, what he spoke about publicly, what he wrote about, what he published, and it's important to know that that uh, many of not only the students from Nahum Zemba, but those who were with him, they did maintain their Nahum Zemba at least in those trying times. Held there was an element of Haya Shah. So. Um, and this is something I wrote about in um, in uh, the article book The Darkness and the Dawn. And as we mentioned, there were there were three Gedolim there in the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, you had Rav Shin Stackhammer, uh, Rav Zemba, and Rav David Shapiro. And I will tell you, I had a great grandfather who was in the Warsaw Ghetto. My great grandfather, my grandfather's father-in-law, who he was not his father-in-law at the time, was the last Rav of the city of Sachatshav. His name was Rabbi Huda Leib Volman, Hashem Yim Kamdamai. And he was the last ruler of the city of Sachachov. He was a Talmud of Shemishmoel. He was taken to the Warsaw Ghetto, and he was given an opportunity to save his skin, to, to survive. The Aguda was going to rescue him and bring him to America, and they were going to carve out a new position for him, Chief Rabbi of the United States of America. First time that they would have that position. And he turned them down. And he said, He's a. He's a Raya Neman, he's a he's a faithful shepherd to his kahila. Much of Sacharshov was taken to the Warsaw Ghetto, and he would not save his life and leave his kahila behind. And this is one of the great dilemmas of the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, in 1943, April 19th, 1943, there was an official uh, court case with Reb Stakhammer from Menachem Zemba, Reb David Shapiro. They had uh, gotten word from the uh, Judenrat that the Catholic Church of Warsaw were going to uh, save these three Gedoleim, and they had 24 hours to escape. And they convened the Besdin, and because it's Dinei Nifashai, so Katan, and Rav David Kahana Shapiro spoke up, and he said, "We cannot run away. Um, we can't abandon the people in the darkest hour. We have to encourage them. We have to strengthen them. Uh, could we run from the Almighty?" The same God who's found here will be found outside. And those are the words of Rav Davikani Shapiro. And Rav stackhammer and Renatham Zemba could not comment. There's nothing left to say. Renatham Zemba said, no, let there be no further discussion. Tell the Judenrat, we're not leaving. And that was the psak of this, <laughs> the haunting court case of April 19th, 1943. My grandfather was present in uh, the ghetto at the time. Um, and this is a matter of considerable halachic debate. Uh, this was a question posed to the Chazaynish, uh, many by many G'daylem, what should we do? Should we leave our communities, or should we save our life? And the Chazoynish did not answer directly. Instead, he would always point to a Drashas Chassam Seifer. And the Drashas Chassam Seifer has a very lengthy, in-depth analysis of this particular subject and the chastam soifer says it's very hard to give a definitive ruling if you read what the chastam soifer writes he is inclined to say that you should save yourself but you know we'll leave that to the uh, reader to see the chastam soifer inside Ksam-Soyfer says there was a, it was the, actually
3: the debate a, is the debate
4: is absolutely right <laughs>
3: So L'Chari should the say Hayatha Hayatha Kaidman is, is should yeah. say that they should leave. On the other hand, there's two other things that some discusses. There's a question is, do you say Hayecha Kaidman by Divrei Ruchdias? Right, so here Good. is the question is, as a leader of a community, as a spiritual leader, maybe there is no din of Hayecha Kaidman as the leader of a community.
4: Right, right? maybe there's a moral right. obligation to to be a captain. You know, right, you see
3: Rebel Ochanan came back um, they say that the of Rum, right, uh was in the Kovno mm-hmm. Ghetto, he was, the same. he was He was given the ability to run, he didn't. The Alexander Rebbe, the Radhamska Rebbe didn't. On the other hand, the Satma Rebbe famously did, um, um, the Ger Rebbe and the Belzer Rebbe left, so you see that on, and it's interesting to note that the Alexander Rebbe said he's not leaving, he was killed, and sadly most of the Hasidus Alexander disappeared. Right mm-hmm. those, so you know
4: it, it, but Ger was able to uh escape you see the Hasidim that were, were able to escape
3: and he rebuilt Ger done... yeah so it's it's a debate did they didn't they and it's, it hasn't been you can't really answer such a question no abul no. you see you, Rabbi came back abul came Rabbi back and 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 rabaran fled so it's like it was it was both by the Hasidim and the literature this was a you know fierce debate
4: yes the interesting thing is, Chassam Sefer writes that went back to the times of Noida Behuda, where the Noida Behuda himself wanted to leave the city of Prague when Prague was in siege, and the community leaders did not allow him. Um, when the city of Mainz was uh, besieged, the city of Mainz sent Rav Parish to Frankfurt. So Chassam says it's, a, it's an age-old debate. He, he wants, Chassam wants to say, it, it was a machloikis, Yirmiya Hanavi, and Rabbi Yehoshua ben zakai Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai fled the city. It's, uh, it's a very interesting makar. Rabbi Yehoshua ben zakai fled the city. Yermiah Hanavi was in jail. He stayed with the people. You could see the drushes from Sefer Haytamos, paid Shinhei. So it's very hard to, uh, to weigh in and to say that one one mahalach is better or is not better. I think one thing we could safely say is that those admiram or gedolim were able to flee and, and rebuild their yeshivas and uh, chatzerois. So Kali Yisrael today flourishes because of them. But we could equally say that those gedolim that were and nefesh al-Kiddush Hashem, it's their blood and their messiahs nefesh that uh, lay the groundwork for the, uh, the future, the, the resurrection and the uh, revivification and, and resurgence of the Jewish people today. My own great-grandfather, Died Al Kiddush Hashem in the Warsaw Ghetto, and it's a source of pride to to me, to my family, that he wouldn't abandon the Jewish people in uh, in their time of distress.
5: So I mean, t- what's the
4: bigger, greater, greatest accolade is to be a Raya Mehemna, to be a faithful shepherd of the Jewish people.
5: So,
3: share with us and what were the words you heard from your grandfather, that, from Rabbi Nachum Zemba's position in, in the Warsaw Ghetto?
4: The words were, they couldn't, they should, that they, they were not permitted to go like sheep to slaughter, that that was disparaging to the dignity of the Jew. And in order to preserve Kavad Yisrael, they had to wage Mohamed Mitzvah. That's what my grandfather told me. You know, it wasn't a matter of what the result would be. It was a matter of making the statement that we're not, uh, we're not going to Shrita house. We're going to stand up for our lives. That echoes the opinion of uh, Rabbi Feingold and Rabbi Seidman, that it's a uh, Mohammed mitzvah and it's Kiddush Hashem.
3: Well, Mohammed mitzvah is where you're fighting to save your life. The argument here would be is that by doing this, they were guaranteeing their death, not saving their lives. So Mohammed mitzvah is a difficult argument, no?
4: Ma'ani to be nishnas in but one could humbly assert that if standing up for Jewish pride is... Is Meroyimim, Karen Yisrael, Karen Hashchina, Karen Hatairah. It's Meroyimim, the, the honor and the glory of the Jewish people, where when the Kedoshim went, they, the same way they, they didn't die crying, they died dancing in the flames, they died singing Amimamin. It's it's a statement of emuna. It's a statement and belief in the afterlife. Yes, they knew it.
3: Hello, that it is, but Mohammed's Mitzvah, is, it's not. I'm just, I was asking on the point of Mohammed's Mitzvah. Again, Mohammed's so Mitzvah in
4: the, the spirit's yeah. Look, Mohammed's Mitzvah, you can't have Mohammed Mitzvah if it's not Eretz Yisrael.
3: No, no, no. Unless no.
4: says self Shulchan
3: says, kifu, uh, <laughs> they come to the, to the Sapir. It's, the Bach says it has Mohammed Smith Mohammed's Mitzvah, in Eretz Yisrael.
4: The, the point that uh, these students of Ramech Hazemba make is it's Kiddush Hashem yeah. in the sense of standing up for the honor of the Jewish people. So in that sense, it's a Mohammed that you need to do, and in the greater sense, it's mochama's mitzvah. I think it would be hard to, to categorize it as uh, mochama's mitzvah according to the strict halachic interpretation. Unless, unless, again, unless was, Rabbi
3: Galatstein, you yeah. take the position that if the Jews in Europe as a whole had said, look... You want to take us every inch we're gonna we're gonna fight you right if that had been the stance and there would have been a million German deaths along with the six million jewish deaths so if Ramanachem Zamb was saying this should be our position going forward, so him fighting would have a den of a mohammed mitzvah because in effect he's creating an atmosphere that will, al- will allow le- for, for less death not in his protheistic position but claw is he was setting a claw
4: yeah that, I don't would, think that would make they're... a
3: mohammed mitzvah.
4: Saying, yeah, well, you I want to take us. What Everybody, yeah.
3: everyone you take is, is going to come at you with a gun. So then it would have a Dinah conversation, not from him, but for the other, you know, for the rest of
5: them.
4: I think the point was it was limited to the circumstance of the, of the Warsaw Ghetto. It was so that they would not just be liquidated and taken to to Auschwitz. It was it was a point of Jewish pride. Yes, it, it, there is a concept of standing up for the the honor of the Jewish people, uh, and that's what uh, my grandfather and others maintained that when Zemba helped.
3: And by the way, the other question that you discussed, whether should they leave or should they stay, the Klichemda, another Polish Google, says Pinchas, the Gemara says he was machnas himself into Sakana. Saranissim happened to Pinchas that day, that he himself didn't get killed. So the question is, why was he machnas himself into Sakana? And the answer is, he was machnas himself into Sakana, fatzalas Yisrael so you see that, yeah. he, and he was, he was, he was, uh, he was, he needed nicely as, as Brissi Shalim, in other words, he, he got tremendous accolades for doing that. So he says, this is a, one of the Makhiris that he would say that an Adem should be machinist himself in this Akhaneh, in other words, just as he was, and not, he, he could have said, look, I'm leaving, I, w- I want to save myself. So it's just from out yeah. Two parishes ago, last week's Parsha, we have sort of a riot to this, uh, to this, to uh, this, Rabbi Glassine, thank you very much. for sharing with us your family memory in this matter. It's so relevant these days of mourning for the for the for the for the base summit. Thank you very much for your time.
4: Okay, thank you for the opportunity and we should uh so, should only hear of Swiss Taiwan and uh Safe and Good Times, one rule come Amen. Call to bye bye. Yeah, I wanted to say an answer to the riddle. I saw in an a
5: safer. Um, why? How we could come to, Shabbos, to the Gemara matia by Shlach uh, and chom, and the came out and said and mm-hmm. So we we see from that Gemara that in Shemaya the like and we have the Gemara in Shabbos that is and the Chum says Milo a a and some say is not milo, and other so, in Melech, be has that, says, that Aliya is, kamalach v'na so, he's in the Kaim kind of terah, not oliva the other. and then shemaya, de the like a blazer, they could do, called t'srachim milo, on Shabbos. So Mila, will be mostly to come. I will Mila. Also, I think it's made some safer that um, there's two parts. Dalio, there's is part that, uh, that that when he comes as a Malach or he comes as an Odom, so when he comes as a Malach, when he comes as a Malach, so then there's not a problem when he comes to the master he's coming like an Odom.